this is the last week in our mastermind series. Um, we've been in this for several weeks and, um, instead of giving you any type of recap, um, I want to encourage you to go either on our website or on your favorite podcasting app, whether that's iTunes or, uh, something else. And you can search celebrate church Clinton and find all of our messages there. So go back and listen to any of the messages that you missed. Um, and we'd, we'd love to make sure that you were up to date with everything. Today, what I want us to do is I want us to walk through Romans chapter 8, verse, well, verses 1 through 17. We're going to walk through a large portion of scripture today, um, take it verse by verse. And I want to share with you some things, some thoughts that I have about today's title would be walking in the spirit. About what it means to walk in the spirit. Because I think as we talk about um, managing our thoughts and we talk about using our will to subject it to God's will. And when we do that kind of stuff, we've got to understand there's an instruction in scripture. And we're going to read that shortly that says that we are not to walk according to the flesh. Which is really hard because you are in flesh right now. But you are to walk in the spirit. Um, this first verse I'm going to break down for you. It'll take me just a minute, but I think it's important for you to understand. And that's in Romans chapter eight, verse one. It says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I really truly believe there are some people who might've asked the question before, and maybe you haven't, but there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. And the difference really is hope because you're guilty regardless. That's the good news. You're guilty regardless, but there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And that is hope. Listen to what John three seventeen says. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Not to condemn the world, to bring a guilty verdict with no hope. God did not send his son in order to do that. Look at what John 16 verse 8 says. It says this, and when he, the Holy Spirit comes, talking, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit, but the whole passage is about the Holy Spirit. So just understand that. And when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. So condemnation really is hopeless guilt that leads to utter rejection. I want you to understand or be thinking, how many of you have ever watched a show that involved lawyers? Crime, lawyers, things like that, okay? I want you to be thinking in lines with what happens when a verdict is handed down and it is a guilty verdict. It's handed down and then a sentence is given or a fine is imposed upon that person. So condemnation is hopeless guilt that leads to rejection. But conviction is hopeful guilt that leads to transformation and acceptance. Not acceptance by peers, but acceptance between you and God. As we are moved by the Holy Spirit's power, when he convicts us of the sin that we are truly guilty of, he wants to move us to a place where we've transformed and where we are completely and truly walking in the knowledge of being accepted by him. Because truly we are his children if we've accepted him into our heart and if we walk with him in our life, in our daily life. Look at verse two. It says this for the law of the spirit of life has set you free 
in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The spirit brings freedom, but the flesh brings sin. The spirit brings life, the Bible is telling us here, but the flesh brings death. So this is to be understood for us today that we need the spirit that brings freedom and life. We do not need the flesh. In fact, I believe even in our church, we suffer from flesh syndrome from time to time. There are people that walk in the flesh and not according to the spirit. When someone gets easily upset about something, that would be them walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. When someone immediately retaliates against someone else for something that's been done, that would be something where they are not walking in the spirit, they are walking in the flesh. When you get immediately angry and you honk the horn at the person in front of you, and it's not to warn them of danger, it's probably because you're walking in the flesh and not the spirit, all right? Mark's like, that's the pot calling the kettle black. No, I'm just kidding. So the understanding is that we need the spirit. We need God's spirit because in him, Paul says this, in him we live and move and have our being. Look at what verse three says. It says, for God has done, this is so awesome. God has done what the law weakened by our flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Look at what verse four says. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. When I opened up this message series a few weeks ago, I shared a funny clip of a Bob Newhart comedy uh, routine where he has this woman come in and she talks about all of her fears and he's pretending to be the psychologist on the other side of the desk and he gives her this encouragement. He, He shouts really loudly as she's describing her fears and says, stop it, just stop it. Well, even though we know it's, that's what we're supposed to do, sometimes it's really hard to do that. So today I want to talk to you about the partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit. Because here, if we're looking at verses 2, 3, and 4, God has solved the problem, your problem, all by himself. This is not a cop-out. This should be something that is a motivator. But God has solved your problem, the problem of sin, all by himself. In fact, if we understand these verses, 2, 3, and 4, God set up a system in which we could never meet its requirement outside of him. And so then one day, thousands of years after creation, he has brought Jesus Christ on the scene in order to fulfill the requirement of the law for us. The Bible tells us in another place in the New Testament that he made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to then be identified and become sin so that we who are the true sinners would become the righteousness of God. So God has done this for a purpose and for a reason. And here we are walking and struggling in the flesh. And God is wanting us to understand that if we are truly born of him, if we truly have him in us, then we should turn to him for help in the time of our trouble when we are struggling to walk in the spirit. So Jesus Christ condemns sin in the flesh. 
Here's something I take out of this. God fulfills his word. In verses 2, 3, and 4, God is fulfilling his own word. He said there was a requirement for a sacrifice and that it needed to be pure. Then he ups the ante by bringing not an animal but the actual son of God to be the thing that redeems us humankind. The blood of goats and rams and all the other things could not truly redeem, could not truly save. It may have held God off for a while. But it only held him off until Jesus Christ came. And Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. And I thank God for that. So the righteous required, the righteousness required by the law could only be fulfilled by God's son, Jesus Christ. So we as believers walk not according to the flesh, but we're supposed to walk according to the spirit. So the next time I get the chance, I'm not going to scream the words Bob Newhart did. Stop it. I'm going to say to the fleshly Christian believer, you need to wake up and realize you are walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. You say, well, pastor, how can you judge that? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to. I'm not putting myself on some throne. I'm telling you as a believer are able to judge other believers based on the fruit of their life. We've said this before. You've heard this before. Oh, God knows my heart. He sure does. (laughs) He sure does. But we don't know. I don't know Sam's heart, but I do know the outflow of his heart is what I see in his life. And so I judge him by his actions. He's kind, considerate, compassionate. He's there when you need him. He's this, he's that. Fill in the blank. I can see the fruit of God's work in his life. So the real question is, can people around you see the work of the Holy Spirit and God in your life. The truth is, if we're looking at these verses 2, 3, and 4, there is no shortcut, or there are no shortcuts in walking in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. You have got to do this every day. In fact, the other night I was taking someone home to their house and I tried to take a shortcut. I saw a sign that said bridge closed, but it was kind of like off in the ditch. So I was like, eh, maybe they just left it there and they'll come back and get it. Surely the bridge is open. Well, I mean, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the road. So like I was thinking, eh, and it wasn't really facing me. It was kind of like off kilter. So I thought, oh sure, this is a shortcut. I can take it. So I'm not doing 90 or anything, but I'm, you know, heading down this country road in the middle of the night sort of deal and as I get closer and closer and closer all of a sudden I see all the reflectors and all the barricades and I realize the truth is when we try to take a shortcut we actually double our work I doubled the miles I, I literally had to turn around and go back the way I came in order to get back at the origin point and keep going the other way so there are no shortcuts. You have got to learn how to walk according to the Spirit, but it's not, it's not something that's just for ultra-spiritual people either. You, you can be tempted to look at God's Word and see the disciples and the life of the apostles and these other strong and powerful men and women of God and think, wow, they are so awesome and ultra-spiritual. I'm so proud of them, but I am doing a horrible job myself. It's not for ultra-spiritual people. Life according to the Spirit is not just you trying to do the right thing. The person who walks in the Holy Spirit is in essence fulfilling God's law. 
That's why this seems a little bit weird when you read through Romans and Paul is talking about you don't have to fulfill the law any longer. And the Jewish people were really confused when they were confronted with this truth because they're like, wait a second, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Why all of a sudden are you telling us that we don't have to do this? He's saying because the one who lives and moves and breathes inside of you who is redeemed will cause you to know what is right and what is wrong. That's not to say that you should avoid God's word or not read God's word. Obviously, we learn God's word. You're here today to hear God's word. But his spirit can help you in those moments to bring the word to life and help you to walk according to the spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be inside of every believer and he wants to be used every single day. Verse 5 says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if we live according to the flesh, this verse is telling us, it's because we have set our minds on the things of the flesh. Now, I know some people like that. I am some people like that from time to time, setting my mind on things of the flesh. But it says there, but those who live according to the Spirit, they are like that because they have set their mind on the things of the Spirit. So the importance of you and I setting aside some time every day to actually speak to our creator, to talk to our God, to hear from him, to read his printed words is so important because that's the thing that will help motivate our human heart to live according to the spirit and not fulfill in another version, in another passage in Galatians 5, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I am living and walking in the spirit, although it's hard and it's challenging, it is not easy. It does not come easy. If I'm doing that, then I am pleasing to God. I want to give you an illustration. If I was to ask you um, to somebody in here to take out all of the air from this container, what would you what would you suppose you could do? I mean, could you vacuum it out? little vacuum in there and suck all the air out. You probably could in a physics lab. They could probably form some sort of sealed top with a little vacuum plug and like, and pull all the air out of it. There's still going to be some molecules of air inside of it. This illustration is for you today because you are like this glass jar. If we're looking at these verses like verse five, where it says live according to the flesh and set your mind, that's because you've set your mind on the flesh. But if you live according to spirit it's because you're setting your mind on the spirit, it's like in the moment where you have thoughts that do not belong to God, that are not holy and according to his will then what you are trying to do is you are trying to defeat the flesh and walk in the spirit. So if you wanted to, if this is your life, you could try to shove and fill your life with some things like this, but still it's kind of porous. There's no top on top of it either. It's porous and there's air still in here. That means not every thought that I have, not every thought that you think is of God. Can I get an amen? Okay, so not every thought that you think is of God, and that means there's still room 
for God to fill you. So you've got to have some way to get all of the air out of this container. The only other way I could think is if I were to fill the space of the container, which means that I literally am filling it up to the point where there is no space left for me and for my thoughts. I'm allowing God's spirit to fill me. In fact, the Bible says to overflowing. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do to you. He wants to fill you up to overflowing. He wants to empower you so that there is no longer that struggle in your heart and in your life. In fact, I would say this, if you are struggling constantly with the same sin, you are not living in obedience to God's word and you are not walking according to his spirit because his spirit wants to help you not struggle with that. So while we can't prevent all the thoughts in our lives that displease God, We can choose not to feed them. The Apostle Paul says this. He encourages the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says, Take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. So you need to be filled up with thoughts. Indeed, with an entire mindset, really, that is oriented towards the things of the Spirit. You and I have to set our heart or our mind, as we would say, on the things of God and be filled with him. The promise of the heavenly father that was given thousands of years ago is that one day his spirit would live inside of his people. That day has come and it has not gone. It is still here. It is, he's not expired. It wasn't just for some super spiritual, holy roller, disciple, apostle people way back in the first century. It is for you and for I today to understand that the Holy Spirit is exactly what we need. Listen to what it says in Acts 2.4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had already been saved. They had already become believers. But in this moment, they were filled. And the Bible says that God wants to do this in you and I. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an encouragement outside of the book of Acts in a letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. So look at verse 6 in Romans chapter 8. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. You ever met somebody that's hostile? (laughs) No, really, have you? Like, you're giggling, but like, you've met somebody who's just like an angry little elf that, you know, all they ever, I mean, like, they're just hostile, okay? All of us are hostile to God when we are living according to the flesh because the flesh is not living in subjection or submission to the Holy Spirit. So look at what it says, though. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's impossible for the flesh to please God, is what Paul is saying. Look at what verse 8 says. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you say, well, I'm going to be stuck in this flesh until the day I leave this earth. Yes, but you don't have to be living according to it. That's what Paul is saying. I hope this empowers you today to think about this because this is what I I think is really important. The results here are important. That the mind on the spirit brings life and peace. 
That's what we're reading in verses 6 through 8. And look at what happens to the mind of the flesh. It says the mind that's on the flesh, it has these things. Death, hostility toward God, rebellion against his law, and that you live in a state, a permanent state of impossibility to please God. So you say, well, what is the mind mind of the flesh when we talk about fleshly desires? I would say it's the fleshly desires that we have, the things that we think about and put our mind on all the time. We need to be careful that those things are ordained by God, that they're approved by God, that they're things that please God, benefit others, benefit your life and others' lives, because that's what God wants for you. He doesn't want your mind on yourself on your own flesh, your selfish desires, the things that only earn you the new position at work or whatever the case may be where you're willing to sacrifice yourself and others in order to get the thing that you want. If it's not the thing that God wants, he says, you are not pleasing to me. Look at what verse nine says. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's writing this letter. The the book of Romans was written to the church in Rome. And Paul had not yet visited them by the time he had written this letter. So he's writing to them, human people who are receiving this letter. And he says that, that phrase, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Well, of course I'm in the flesh. But he's working on them understanding where their mind should be. It says this, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. That's how you know that you're walking, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Maybe we should do a heart check. And maybe we should have others around us do a life check to see if our life is reflecting us having God fill us up to overflowing and live in the place where we have the promise of the Holy Spirit inside of us living and breathing and helping us throughout every action, everything, taming our reactions, helping guide our future and our decisions and all of those things. We've got to have that. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is an identifying mark of a believer. I had the pleasure of going to a graduation last night, and there was a set of twins that graduated, a boy and a girl who were twins. You could tell it was unmistakable. They were family. I mean, they belonged to each other. You could probably look at kids that are here in this church, even grandkids here at this church, and you'll see facial features that look similar to their grandparents and things like that, because you see the likeness of who made them, where they came from. So the same thing, if in a practical way, you can see the heritage of your mother, your father, and those sorts of things in your face and in your body, then Paul is saying to us that we've got to have these same sort of marks in our spiritual life that identify us as a believer. Look at what it says in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, years ago in the abortion debate in our society, there was a, a, an advertisement or a catchy catchphrase that came out, which was choose life. 
And that's what I would say to you today is choose life. Because here he says, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So this whole series has been about us changing our mind based on an act of our will. Now, I understand that this can be difficult and challenging. But I think something that came to me in the development of this message, this last message, was this thought. We have shared before, and I'll continue to share it because I believe that it's a truth we should hold on to. That our God is a miracle worker, but he is not a magician. We have got to understand that it is an act of our will in concert with the Holy Spirit. It is not just you and your own power because you don't have enough power. It's like you trying to generate enough power to power this entire building with one tiny 110 volt plug. You can't do that. You will overload or it will never even reach all of the circuits. You'll ne- and I don't know much about electricity. I have been electrocuted. I know that explains some stuff to some people. I've been electrocuted a few times. But I will say this. You in yourself don't have enough power. Sure, you have a little bit of power, but not enough power. The body is dead, it says, because of sin, but the spirit is life. God did not create you as a robot. And here's where I think the breakdown happens. The breakdown happens because when we say God is a miracle worker, he can change any life. He can save a serial killer. That's up to him. He can do whatever he wants. You and I need to know that we were not created as robots. And that just because we prayed a prayer, we did not instantaneously turn into perfected, holy, righteous children of God. Sure, we became his own, but we're still living and walking in this flesh. And we need God's help on the daily basis. Every daily choice that we face afterward, after that moment of salvation, we need his spirit. Look at what it says in verse 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. I want you to understand the significance of the statement that Paul is making. He's saying that the same spirit that empowered life in a dead person The Holy Spirit is, it's in concert with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that Jesus was raised from the dead. But that same Spirit that raised him from the dead now lives inside of you and I as believers. He is the power source. We cannot produce the power that's necessary to resist sin and to live holy on our own. But the same power that conquered the grave can live inside of you and if the grave couldn't hold him then what temptation in our flesh can keep him away from us nothing the bible says literally that there is no temptation temptations of anger lust whatever it is greed all the different temptations that we would face there is no temptation that has been ever allowed on mankind you as an individual that god has not given you an exit door a way of escape that comes from the, or the, the misnomer, the phrase that is shared all the time is, God won't give you more than you can handle, which is a lie, because you could probably just look at your life and see the evidence of that, right? Okay, some of you are laughing because you know. The truth is that in that passage of scripture, he says, God won't allow you to be tempted with more than you can handle, because he, he wants to help you. 
The problem is some of us don't want his help. Look at what verse 12 says. So then brothers and I'll add sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So stop there for a second. I would add this, although it doesn't show up in between here in verse 13. If he says, so then we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You can imagine the other side of that. We are debtors to the spirit to live according to the spirit. That's the whole point that he's getting at here. Look at what it says. It continues to say in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. I want you to go back to verse 12 and understand this, that you owe him your life. This is really central to our understanding of salvation. He doesn't save you simply to give you fire insurance to help you not go to hell. This is really important for us to understand. Yes, our destination has changed and we'll be with him forever. But when he saves you, he purchased you. I love that old song that we used to sing when I was a kid. He paid a debt that I could never pay. I owed a debt. There was no way I would ever be able to pay it. The truth is we are all slaves to something. The greatest king, the greatest queen... The heads of state, heads of companies, doesn't matter how tall or high you get up on the ladder of life and success, we are all slaves to something. So the question is, will we be a slave to sin or will we be a slave to God? And he has a rightful claim on our lives if he's the one who purchased us. I know this might be uncomfortable for you to think of because we're living in America and you're independent and you can do what you want and the sky's the limit. No, really, at the end of the day, you are a slave and you should live like one. (laughs) The person, go, go to verse 13 for us on the screen. The person who has been genuinely regenerated by the Holy Spirit is not stuck in sin. I have news to tell you, church. If you are stuck in sin... You are not genuinely redeemed and walking in the spirit. You can use the cop out all you want to. Well, God knows this is the temptation that I bear. No, God does know (laughs) this is the temptation that you bear and he gives you ways of escape. You just haven't chosen them. So you need to understand the significance of what this looks like. The flesh can be resisted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says there. It says to put to death the deeds of the body. I don't know when the last time is you've been to a funeral, but I was at one this past week. And although the gentleman whose father died will go to visit his grave periodically, when he arrives at that gravestone, there is no one there to talk to. Because they've ceased to operate. Do you understand what I'm getting at? They have ceased to not just exist because there's a flesh there, but the spirit we believe with that man specifically is with God. The testimony that was given by the pastor who shared the, the life story of this guy was awesome. That he was always a giver, a generous guy, always led conversations to Jesus, always invited people to church. The fruit of his life was there and was very evident. But I think to myself, when you go to visit the grave, it's for your own sake because he's obviously not there to talk back to you. So 
So think about this because this is what Paul is laying out for the Romans before he gets there to preach with them and to share with them the truth of God's word and what Jesus has done. He's helping them to understand you are literally to have a funeral for your flesh, to put away the deeds that you used to do in the flesh and start living according to the spirit to be filled with him. Too many believers, I think, not in this church, over at First Baptist, are living according to the flesh. I'm just kidding. It's all of us, is it not? But too many of us are living according to the flesh. And here's the thing. What ends up happening is we have no joy. We have no peace. We have no power in our life over sin, over temptation, over any of these things, because we are walking every day. We're saying, sure, I'll do what my flesh wants. Sure, I'll do what my flesh wants. When's the last time I read the Bible? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm doing what my flesh wants. Now, that's me speaking for your subconscious. You say, well, I don't sound like that. Yes, you do. If you haven't read God's word in several days, if you haven't said, God, shine a spotlight in my heart and show me the place that you want to work on today, you haven't said, God, I'm your slave. What must I do today to please you? I know you won't hear this sort of preaching on a TV, (laughs) but it's important truth for you. The death of sin cannot be simply accomplished by the power of your will. We use the imagery of baptism Jesus did, and so did many others after him, and many of you in this room, of water baptism being dead to sin and alive in Christ, redeemed and walking in the newness of life. You need the Holy Spirit living inside of you to convict you, to guide you, to comfort you, to empower you, to help say, stop! You need the Holy Spirit's help. Look at what verse 14 says. We're only going to verse 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, I'll add the word, the parenthetical there, and daughters of God. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Be led by the Spirit. This is not a theory. This is reality. It can be reality. But let me give a word of caution because I know there are many of us who are like, wow, this is a good thing. I need today to hear this message and tomorrow I'm going to pray. God, fill me with your spirit. I won't walk according to the flesh. When I'm tempted, I'll think before I say yes and I'll let the Holy Spirit empower me. But then there are some of us who might be a little bit further along the road. And there are some believers that I've met, again, not in this church, but in other places where I've met, that they've said, well, the Holy Spirit told me, and then they fill in the blank with something. Let me just give you a word of caution about that sort of behavior. If you are to be led by the Spirit, because that's what we're talking about, but this is not some ethereal thing of, I'm just led by the Spirit. He told me to go to Kroger today to buy potatoes. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, But if you're talking about the Holy Spirit spoke to you, then you, if you're telling it to me, somebody put that on your shopping list, you need potatoes. If you're, if you're telling me that the Holy Spirit spoke to you, then it had better line up with God's written word that's been proven for thousands of years for you and for me. There's some wild stuff in there. 
And there are some crazy things that the Holy Spirit can speak to you. But when we talk about him speaking directly, I really truly believe the Holy Spirit can speak to you and I directly, but he will never, ever contradict his word. He will never. It's got to sync up and line up to God's written word. Look at what verse 15 says. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Come on, somebody. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and as daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Another way to say that, Abba is not just a band's name, okay? Abba is actually, what he's saying there is communicating is from a place of intimate behavior, an intimate call from a child's heart to a father, like, dearest father, dearest dad, like, you're the best, my dad. It's through the spirit that gives us this attitude or spirit of adoption. So it's really important here to look at this because the people who are living in Rome, context is everything. The people who are living in Rome, some of them are Jews, but many of them are coming out of other places in their spiritual walk. And they're, they're now believers in Jesus Christ, but they understood if they were, if they were Jews, they understood they used to be slaves. They still, to to this day, memorialize the dates and the times, the seasons of being passed over in Egypt. We just came through Easter. It correlates with Passover for the Jews. They still, to this day, thousands of years later, commemorate the fact that their God is the one who brought them out of slavery. He brought them out of a physical slavery. Then you look at Babylon, and he brought them out of a physical slavery. They had been exiled. It was their own fault. But God brought them out. The Bible says in Isaiah, he did it like a mother gathering her chicks and bringing them back. He always has wanted to bring freedom. And if we think about this in the idea of being a son or a daughter, and we think about the Old Testament context, even today, we have a real context of heritage. When someone dies, they're inheritance or the stuff that they own is given as an inheritance to the persons that are left behind. So if that be the case, then bless God almighty. We have become heirs with Jesus Christ, God's son. This is a powerful truth. And it's not like Jacob and Esau fighting over the the birthright and fighting over the blessing. Each one of us in this room has a birthright, has the ability to have the inheritance of God. And God wants to bring you out of spiritual bondage. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood and we've been grafted into the family of God. We were once orphans, but now we are sons and daughters. This is good. You and I need to live like it. Verse 16 says this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This verse is, I've used this verse and many others have used this verse before. Uh, There are some people who struggle in their understanding of faith and they're especially like teenagers. You know, how do I know that I'm saved? Like, how do I really know? And we use this verse to really back this up because it talks about adoption and how we've been brought in. Here it says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are saved. So we'll have an inner peace of what that salvation is. But I want you to think about again, a courtroom. 
Think about how we said conviction and condemnation, those two descriptive words we used at the beginning of the message. Think about, though, the person that's sitting inside of the witness stand is the Holy Spirit himself. And he is saying, yes, he's a son of God. Yes, she's a daughter of God. He is bearing witness. He's testifying to the fact that we belong to him. Yes, I can confirm. They were, they were there and received salvation, that they walk in faith and in life. Verse 17 says this, and if children, this is the best part, then heirs. Amen. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. And then I wanted to tell you something about the translation, because I want you to look up, just look on the screen up here. Where it says provided, I want you to just quietly read that portion to yourself. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I looked it up and I got good news. That's actually not what the regular original version transcript says. So you could just like scratch that out. Just kidding. No, because I, I look at the original language and that kind of thing, and I study it, and you, y'all need to trust me, but you really need to trust the Bible and start looking it up for yourselves. Here's the deal, though. We want to take that part out. It was all good and fine when he said that I'm an heir with Jesus Christ, and everything's glorious, and I've inherited the kingdom of God. This is awesome. Provided you suffer with him in order that you be glorified with him. I got to tell you, I don't like this part of the Bible. (laughs) I don't like this part of this verse. What do you mean provided that we suffer with him? It says that Jesus, it's it's communicating to us that Jesus, the heir of God, he, he earned the position that he's in today because he chose the road of suffering and said, I will do whatever it takes in obedience to the father. And now he asks that same simple request but very complicated too, of you and I. My dad's pretty, he's a pretty funny guy. Um, I think he thinks he's funnier than he is, but that's most dads. He's been asked before when he goes to the doctor to visit, you know, for a checkup or whatever. And they'll say to him, and I've, I've been in the room with him when he's done this. And uh, they'll say, okay, sir, uh, you, you have any allergies, allergic to any, you know, uh, prescription drugs, anything like that. He'll say, ma'am, I have one allergy and it's to pain. Because he just, he doesn't like to hurt. He does, he's, he does, he's like, whatever you're going to do to me today, I hope it doesn't hurt. You know, he says that to the dentist. He tells him the same thing. I'm just allergic to pain. So whatever you can do to not bring me pain, that's great. And I look at this verse and I think, you know what? We are all the same way. We might think that we're allergic to suffering. But the truth of the matter is, and this is hard. I'm going to have to re-listen to this message for myself. The truth of the matter is, though, that suffering is an important part of the believer's life. If we want to be resurrected with him, we must suffer with him in order to be glorified with him. And this suffering is not an evil-hearted or demeaning sort of suffering that God's like, ooh, (laughs) I'm going to mess with your life and make you... No, it's not like that. In fact, I actually think that a lot of the suffering that we endure in this life might be brought upon ourselves. So we not only need to bring sinful thoughts into captivity, 
But looking at this verse and seeing uh, there's evidence throughout the Bible. This is not that Paul was just really sleepy one night and wrote this down and this doesn't make sense. No, it's proved out everywhere else in scripture that there's going to be suffering in this life. But the whole thing that I think that we need to understand is if we're going to take every thought captive, it's not just this, but it's also the errant thought that, oh, well, I got saved and Jesus is supposed to make my life all better and everything's supposed to be wonderful. He's going to walk with you through some deep waters and through some hard times. And if we didn't have that, would we really need God? If we didn't have the hard moments of our life to walk through, would we really need him? Would we really choose to trust him? Would you stand with me today? I hope this series has been a blessing to you and I I hope this message has been a blessing to you. I want you to know this final thought and that is this, that God wants to help you master your mind. He's not told you that you have to do it all by yourself and come and check in on you later. He actually wants to partner with you. So if it's been a while and maybe you say, you know what, I am a believer, but I've been living according to the flesh or I've got something in my life I've been struggling with, or maybe it's an attitude you've got against, maybe it's not a person, maybe it's an attitude towards God about his goodness or why he hasn't provided or why he hasn't done what was expected or whatever it may be. I want you just in this moment of worship, the worship team will do one last song. Just take a private, quiet moment of prayer right where you are. Let's everybody close our eyes. We say this prayer often, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Because what he says to you might, will be undoubtedly completely different than what he tells somebody else. But I want to allow his conviction to rest on us today and to give us hope that he's going to help us. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would set the captive free in this place right here, right now, today, that those struggling with depression or with thoughts of unworthiness or any mental issues along those lines, I pray that freedom would come. For those who haven't understood that they are co-heirs with Christ, I pray today you would help them submit to this new understanding. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the power and the strength to live in victory over our flesh, truly to put the deeds of the flesh behind us and in the grave and live and walk according to your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God, our strength, God, our Savior, God, our hope, yours forever.